Welcome to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And after a brief, unexpected intermission, we are back to talk about uh, Season 1, Episode 9, The Witch is Back. Yes. You know what? This was my favorite episode that we've done so far. Really? Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a high-tier episode. Even... I was going to say even in season one, but season one of Charmed is arguably one of the strongest seasons of Charmed. In in a daring difference to other TV shows, they start out strong and then kind of go downhill from there. Most shows, it like takes a season to get started and then it really hits its groove. Like, you know, I've been rewatching 30 Rock, Parks and Rec is like this, Farscape. The subject of our other podcast really hasn't hit its groove yet in season one. It's kind of interesting because uh, recently we've been watching every episode of The Simpsons. Oh. Yeah, and they make a joke about, in modern TV, how you can skip the third season of anything because it's always bad. And I'm like, I guess that is more true for modern shows? I mean, I don't think that is true. I think what happens is... There are a certain type of show that's usually a drama where they have the first season scripted out. Mm -hmm. Like they know what they're doing for the first season and then they have some good ideas for the second season and then the third season kind of falls apart. Once upon a time. Oh, wow. We went different directions there, but heroes. Yeah. Oh, that is what I was about to say. That is what I was about to say. What I was about to say is... Here's a list of examples. Oh. And Heroes was going to be on that list. Heroes, Desperate Housewives, Stranger Things, Once Upon a Time. There are more. But there, there, there are a lot more. I feel like I feel like I three off the top of my head. I feel like it's pretty good. But a good rule of thumb for older shows is generally that season three is one of the strongest ones. Well, it, also, I mean, if you're talking about a show that didn't have a through line when it started... Oh, no, I meant stuff like, for example, a show we never talk about on this show, Buffy. Buffy's third season is very strong. But even Buffy, there are big bads that go through the whole season, but it's still season one and two has a lot of monster of the week, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's one central mystery that every episode revolves around, like in Jessica Jones. Ugh. Yeah. Which you could can have skip season a... three. I don't think they made a season three. Uh, or, or are you counting Defenders as season three of Jessica Jones? Oh God, we never even like. We didn't finish a lot of the Netflix stuff. I'm sure it's still there. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The Netflix Marvel stuff is really hard to marathon. Well, which is odd because you think they'd set it up for people to marathon. It's Netflix. We're supposed to watch it all in one sitting. Well, anyway, this show, back to Charmed. This episode was directed by Richard Denault and written by Cheryl J. Anderson. Female writer. Yes. Now, and Cheryl J. Anderson is a producer on this show, and she has a lot of script credits where the story by is either Brad Kern or Constance M. Burge, and then mm. the teleplay is by Cheryl J. Anderson. She has a few solo credits, though. This is one of them. And also, when I was looking up other things she did, I see that she's written a line of mystery novels. 
The first of which I have downloaded, Killer Heels, and we'll finish reading and report back on by the time we get to that 70s episode, episode 17, which is her next solo credit. And possibly the first time we see Grams? I think it is. It's weird. It's interesting that that 70s episode is her next solo credit because it's almost i feel like a sequel to this episode i can see that it's also about kind of going through time to consult an older maternal mentor figure and also it's about the history of the hallowell family in a way that this episode is yeah also it is the only other directing credit on this show for richard denault who directs this episode oh yeah interesting So maybe make a note to revisit this episode when we get up to episode 17, because I really feel like they'll be companion episodes. Yes. So this episode proper opens way back in pasty past times. Yeah, we get an opening in Salem 1692. Mm. Now, we've talked before about how in Salem, which is where... Not actually burned, except apparently in the Charmed Universe they were, so okay. Yeah, I mean, witches are real in the Charmed Universe, so I guess it's okay that there's some historical differences between our two universes. We start with an artistically close shot of Pilgrim shoes, and then a shot of a cell door being opened, and a blonde woman being held in a prison cell. My, that is one busty pilgrim yeah it's a it's pretty it's it's like sexy pilgrim halloween costume yeah i I wasn't aware the puritans were so uh gosh i'm trying to think of a good word for this it's 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 pretty low cut there's a there's a lot of uh yeah yeah i was actually bringing up that this is a blonde woman though oh yes and you know the rules for blonde women and charmed they're either evil or doomed and This blonde woman is fairly well-doomed. She is set to be burned at the stake, much like who else was set to be burned at the stake? I'm not sure I remember. Let's see what happens with this woman. Oh, I know who she was. She was the woman that Piper saw that documentary about. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So she's having a confrontation with her ex-lover. Okay, honestly, I've been reading way too much Reddit the last few days, last few weeks. So all I can think of is... I, male, 25, seduced a woman, female, 25, Mm. so that I could steal all of her magic powers and then I turned her over to the local government for being a witch. Am I the asshole? Oh, I was going to take it from the other direction. I, female, 25, was dating a guy who stole my magic powers and turned me into the town council to be burned at the stake. Am I the asshole? Seriously, this is like every guy in Am I the Asshole. Yeah, so this is what happens. This guy shows up. He tells her he never loved her. He only seduced her so he could steal all of her powers. And she sadly takes off her locket and gives it to him. And when he opens it up, he sees that there is a rose petal inside of it, which bursts into flames. And he's like, what is this? A spell from the witch I betrayed? Who could possibly have seen this coming? And she's like, hey, dickwad, get in the locket. 
Yeah. Get she, in the locket. She banishes him into the locket. By the way, the spell that she casts when she banishes him claims that this is not for her own personal gain, which I feel like is not accurate. I mean, I guess in general, casting a spell on a demon doesn't count as, like, personal gain, even if you're doing it for personally motivated reasons. I I just... I, okay, well, first of all, he's not a demon. He's a warlock. Fair. Secondly, if using a spell to help an innocent is personal gain, then why isn't casting a spell to banish a demon or a warlock? This show has just defined personal gain way too broadly for us to ever take it seriously again. I mean, maybe the answer is that we should erase our memory of when Piper wasn't allowed to use a spell to help a ghost, because that's the thing that's, like, throwing a wrench into everything. Personal gain... I know we need to let this go because there are eight seasons of this show left, but personal gain is enforced so inconsistently and so fucking weirdly it's a show about witches you need them to be able to use magic did i ever talk on the air about personal gain in the television show early edition you did where coach taylor gets tomorrow's paper delivered to him today by a a cat owned by god yes that's accurate so just I kind of liked their thing for personal gain, which was he wasn't allowed to use the newspaper to become a millionaire, but he was allowed to sit down and do a budget every month and use the newspaper to win exactly that amount of money in the lottery. Seems fair. But, I mean, the whole point of a witch show is that you use magic... It's a power fantasy? Yeah, you use magic to do fun things. And why are all of these spells in the Book of Shadows if they're not allowed to use them? Oh, you know, you know how they have that book that they published that is like a replica of the Book of Shadows and has all the stuff in it? Mm-hmm. We should get that and just go through it and be like, personal gain, personal gain, personal gain. I mean, on the air, obviously. Yeah, but like every non-demon warlock fighting... Non-vanquishment. Yeah, every non-vanquishing spell would be personal gain. Later in the show, Paige gets in trouble for bringing the book to work and using magic to help out her co-workers like she clears up one of her co-workers skin using magic and then magic gives her giant comedy boobs because this show lost track of itself so quickly doesn't she also use a spell to help like an abused child because she works for child protective services god i i, I don't i think so maybe yeah but then it turns out that she was being seduced by evil by doing that i oh god i can't wait till we get to Paige. but Paige will have to wait for right now we're dealing with prue yes so we are at the buckland auction house where rex buckland is bringing prue some jewelry to appraise including the locket that we just saw that warlock get trapped in okay so rex is in theory, the big bad for season one. Rex and Hannah. Although he does get taken care of like halfway through the season. And at in this episode, we get hints that there is a higher or, as it were, lower force, uh-huh. you know, that they work for. But this is the first time he's kind of directly affected the plot, isn't it? 
This is the first time he's directly affected the plot. In Wedding from Hell, he and Hannah talked about making moves and didn't. They also they also sent them they sent uh, the bride the fertility statue which she didn't get to use because they blew her up. Right, but that was secondary to what was going on with the Hallowell sisters. Yeah. Um. Actually, honestly, for the big bads, Hannah and Rex are moving really slowly because at the end of this episode, Hannah's going to say at the least they've confirmed that the sisters are in fact the charmed ones, which is like. You've been here for three months and you've just confirmed they're the charmed ones? What kind of schedule are you on? Yeah, they're, they're not great at their jobs. I'm putting this out in the universe. Rex and Hannah were not great at their jobs. I mean, I guess when you're an immortal being, time and deadlines are different, but <laughs> whatever. So Prue picks up the amulet and Rex books it out of there so he won't be around when... God, this guy looks kind of like Ken Marino. Oh my gosh, he does. Except he's kind of like a younger, more attractive, more muscular Ken Marino. I don't know if he's more muscular. Ken Marino's a pretty muscular guy. I mean, we're going to see him with his shirt off. We, we've seen Ken Marino with his shirt off. Yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, Ken Marino's an attractive man as well. This guy's just like slightly more attractive or maybe slightly more my type. I don't know. I was about to say, he's like if Ken Marino and Snape had a baby. You're just saying that because he has longer hair. He has Snape hair. Yeah. Yeah. Ken Marino is actually in this show later. He plays a one-off love interest of Phoebe's who gets killed in the episode where he first appears. Oh my gosh, I don't remember that. I'm looking forward to that now. Oh, it's way in the bad seasons. Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And as long as we're talking about things I'm looking forward to, I do have to say, I really like this character and i like that the actor kind of just hams him up yeah i mean lean into it you know what kind of show charmed is also this is the kind of time traveler i like the kind who's not i'm sorry melinda the kind who's not all like oh my gosh what's that what is this strange mechanical beast this guy's like oh hey the future there are gonna be things i don't understand i don't care i'm matthew tate and i'm here to fuck shit up yeah he's not shitting himself over zippers yeah yeah what 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 is this strange cylindrical object you didn't have glasses oh i I guess we did have glasses (laughs) and and what are you wearing on your feet are they some sort of magic foot protectors like we know you had shoes dude We, we saw shoes no i'm sorry to be fair there's a scene later where melinda is like what is a zoo and i was like surely you had zoos that seems like the i mean humans are pretty terrible i feel like that's like the first thing we do when we find animals i mean menageries have been a thing for a while yeah but then i looked it up and the first zoo in london uh, the first public zoo i was gonna say the first zoo wasn't wasn't open to the public until the 1800s there was scientific zoos before that although also not till the 1800s Mm. So, but I mean, like menageries were a thing. It's not like a foreign concept, right? Although, honestly, shouldn't she be speaking like Middle English or something? <laughs> Which I know you can't get into this with anything involving time travel. But... Okay, digression. Mm-hmm. So, also, they're gonna pull Melinda forward in time later. Yeah. Heads up. <laughs> so, uh, 
So, are you familiar with Michael Crichton, the Michael Crichton book slash movie that was made from the Michael Crichton book timeline? I am not. Okay. So, the thing is, I kind of, as, as a fan of time travel fiction, I kind of love the book. Because they go back in time and deal with the fact that the guy can't even figure out without his linguist there how to say yes. Like, he can't communicate at all with people because the language is so different. Mm. And then in the movie, it's like, it's it's so terrible. And the time travel is so terrible. So... He's like, the confusion that happens in the book where he's dealing, where he's talking with the woman and he can't figure out how to answer in the affirmative because the word yes doesn't exist, in the movie is replaced with him asking her if she's seen anyone and her not understanding that idiom. Ugh. So, speaking of creepy dudes, Matthew. Matthew is like, hey... This must be the future. I'm glad I'm not stuck in that pain amulet anymore. Hey, lady. Hey, lady. Use your powers on me. Prue's like, ew, no. And she telekinetically pushes her desk at him. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. Now I have your telekinesis. So he knows because she set him free that she must be a descendant of Melinda Warren. So I guess after he was trapped in the locket, he, like, also learned everything about the spell, including the fact that only a descendant of Melinda Warren could free him. Which is weird because Melinda Warren doesn't seem to be have been paying any attention up in Witch Heaven, and we know that the people in Witch Heaven can look down on, you know, you and see stuff that's going on. So I guess she just had no interest in anything that was happening. I guess not. So... Now that Prue, I'm sorry, I said Prue pushed a desk at him, she threw him across the room. But now he has her power, and he throws a chair at her. He very mildly throws a chair at her. And Chanidori's like, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it. So he grabs a hold of her, and he's like, use your other powers on me. And she's like, I don't have other powers. And he's like, ah, then you must have sisters. He is really fast on the uptake. Yeah, I was about to say, this dude is super on the ball. Also, he notices a nameplate on her desk and is like, I see that your family name is Hollowell now so that I can find you. And it's like, damn, dude. No, no. Prudence Hollowell is the name of that uh, block of wood. But it's like you didn't even have, like, the idea that he would see a nameplate and understand inherently, ah, this is her office, this is her desk, this nameplate must be her, therefore her last name must be Hollowell. He's just, he's just very quick on, on the uptake, and I'm, I'm very much here for this. Yeah, keeps the plot moving. Yes. And then speaking of keeping the plot moving, he's like, okay, we're done with this scene, and he blows out the glass on her window, her 12th floor window, jumps down, lands in the courtyard Starbucks, and saunters away, grabbing someone's biscotti off their table as he goes, like a badass. Well, you can tell he's evil because he likes biscotti. Also because... The worst cookie. The worst cookie. Also because he blinks. Now, blinking in the charmed universe. In the charmed universe, blinking is basically just jump cutting with this kind of sharp noise played when you do it. Yeah. It's evil teleportation. Later, the show will establish that it is the kind of teleporting you can only do if you're evil. That hasn't been really established yet. In fact, they're going to contradict that in this episode. 
but he does it i i love that he does it just to get to the other side of shannon doherty to demonstrate that this is a power that he has you know what didn't even occur to me until this time through what he could have blinked down to the street but he chose to jump instead Yes, he chose to telekinetically shatter Prue's window and then just jump 12 stories down to the ground. <laughs> oh. I, so, is, so he didn't set anything on fire. So I feel like grabbing the biscotti as he's walking away is like the equivalent of not looking at the explosion behind him. Yeah, cool guys don't look at explosions. I, I don't remember the tune of that song. Yeah. But yes, it's that one Lonely Island song. Then we get, you know, blah, 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 credits, blah, 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 Shannon Doherty, blah, 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 enjoy your time, T.W. Knight, King. Enjoy your time, Shannon Doherty. <laughs> enjoy your time, Shannon Doherty. So we open with, this has to be, um, every, every time when there's a long panning shot of San Francisco, when there's multiple long panning shots of San Francisco over this, like, weird, vaguely folky sounding, obvious studio fill-in music. I always try to fill it in in my head. I know this is the sort of thing we could look up, but I'm like, what do you think? Michelle Branch, maybe a Michelle Branch, Melissa Etheridge? Are you asking me who it is or who it was originally? Oh, who it would have been originally. This is obviously just some studio. This is obviously just a studio musician that they get to do like sound alike stuff when they can't afford the actual artist. I think it was probably Michelle Branch originally. Yeah. Yeah. This was a big time for Michelle Branch. Yes. Also, I know I've mentioned this before, but God, would I love to see a documentary about people who do, like, fill-in sound-alike songs. Yes, I would watch that. Like, Kip What's-His-Face, the guy who does uh, Michael Jackson, fake Michael Jackson songs and stuff. Oh, I didn't know that there was a guy who was famous for that. Yeah, he, he was actually, you know, Michael Jackson did the voice of the Michael Jackson guy in The Simpsons, mm-hmm. but he wasn't allowed to sing Sure. He got the sound-alike guy to do the singing in that. So in that episode, that's not Michael Jackson singing. That is a sound-alike. Well, it's like in the... uh, I heard an NPR interview a few years ago with the guys who wrote the fake songs for music and lyrics, the TV show, the movie music and lyrics, and also for the movie Get Him to the Greek. And it was really interesting talking about, like, writing fake pop songs. I mean, those are genuinely good. Like... There, I, I listen to songs for music and lyrics in my day-to-day life. I mean, Fuzzy Walls, it's, it's a classic. I'm a big fan of the uh, fake... God, what was the... The fake Wham song at the beginning of it? Oh, yeah, I don't remember that one. But you know what fake... Pop Goes My Heart. Yes! Yes! Oh, you know what fake songs I really love? What? The whole soundtrack to A Mighty Wind. Yeah. Although, well, does that's that even really a count? I mean, they're actually musicians in addition to being comedians. But, yes. All, I, I genuinely like all of the songs in A Mighty Wind. Yeah. It's, it's also a good movie. Watch A Mighty Wind. Yeah. I think it's better than Best in Show. I think A Mighty Wind is the best of the Christopher Guest movies, yes. And then I think... Best in Show is kind of just just barely, barely edges out Waiting for Guffman. But I also like Waiting for Guffman. Which also has great songs. Charmed. So we come back from credits and Daryl and Andy are investigating this 
scene? You're homicide cops. This is like, is this even a misdemeanor? There, there was no crime here that you're aware of. Like, there's a possibility that there was some sort of assault in Prue's office. But all you know right now is that a guy jumped out of a window and was fine. So tell me what the underlying crime is here. That's going to be a running thread for Andy throughout this entire episode. But these guys are homicide detectives. What are you doing here? I know, right? And Andy, like, looks up at the window, and he doesn't even have to count up or across. He just knows, oh, that's Prue's window. Which, way to be a creepy ex-boyfriend, Andy. I mean, he probably knows that she works at... Buckland. Yeah. So, I mean, he's like, oh, well, if, if, if it's here, and she's the main character... Ah, ah, he's aware, he's aware of the genre conventions. I gotcha. And yet he doesn't know that Prue's a witch, which... Going back to the last episode we talked about, where he freaked out when he found out she was a witch, she should freak out that he hasn't figured out yet that she's a witch, because that points to some, like, willful ignorance on his part. I don't know, maybe he's doing, like, the Buffy's mom thing from the first two seasons of Buffy, where he just conveniently forgets stuff all the time. Well, I mean, he knows that witches are real, and he's seen all this weird stuff around Prue. I mean, he's caught Prue and her sisters at, like, multiple crime scenes at this point, where people have died. What does he think is happening? Well, it doesn't matter. Back at the Hollowell Manor, Leo is uh, fixing the pipes under the sink. Oh my. Yes. and I, I do love this. He asks Piper for a part and Piper can't figure out what it is, so Phoebe just hands it to her. Yeah, Phoebe knows what a ratchet extension is. Phoebe lived in New York. Yeah, all New York girls know what ratchet extensions are. I'm assuming she lived in a series of terrible apartments. Yes. So I just want to talk about the clothes for a second. Okay, because the Hollowell sisters have a uniform in this scene. Okay, so in this episode, Piper is wearing a maroon sweater set. Like mm-hmm. a like a wine-colored sweater set. Yeah. And it's very conservative, and she's got, like, the top button buttoned on the sweater. Yeah. And Phoebe is wearing, like, a baby blue sweater. So their outfits are kind of complementary, uh, both in color and in style, but still contrasting in a way that I really like. And then in a second, Prue's going to join them, and you'll see, we already saw what Prue's wearing, but you'll see next to her sister's what she's wearing, which is also a sweater set, but it's a much tighter sweater set, and she's got it open at the neck showing cleavage, and it's red red, like Hmm. blood red, as opposed to the kind of dull wine red that Piper is wearing. I just think it's interesting. And then later... When Melinda joins them, she's going to put on a dress that has kind of a... She's going to put on a sleeveless sheath dress and put a dark royal blue sweater over it. Mm. I'm not sure what to make of all of this, but I just like the colors, the way that... Satorial subtext? Yeah, no, and, and I just like the way that Piper and Phoebe kind of have the dulled colors and... 
the plot, which is really focusing on Prue and Melinda in this episode, they have kind of the more vibrant sister colors. That's interesting. I, I would consider this more of a Phoebe-Melinda thing. I feel like they have all of the scenes together, but yeah, I mean, Prue is sort of the current maternal figure in the group. And so she's sort of relating to Melinda as Melinda, the matriarch of the whole family on that level. Also, this episode kind of is addressing the fact that Piper is not getting up the nerve to ask out Leo, so it makes sense that she's wearing the more muted color. Which Phoebe pulls her to the side and she's like, didn't you two make out under the truth? Like when you you cast the truth spell and you asked him if he wanted to go out with you and you said yes. And then you made out with him. Like, why are you nervous about asking him out now? You literally know exactly what he's going to say when you ask him out. What What are we even doing here? Phoebe says, am I the only one in the family who got the take a chance gene? And Piper's response is, well, if I remember my biology, it's attached to the can't mind my own business gene, which, I'm sorry, Piper, means y'all should have it. So... Phoebe's pressuring Piper to, you know, just fucking ask out Leo already. Dear God, stop dragging this out. I really feel for Phoebe. It's like, look, if I'm not allowed to have sex with him, someone should be. (laughs) And then Piper does the same thing she did, I think, two episodes ago, where she knocks a pitcher of iced tea off of the counter. A couple of episodes, it was a box of cereal. And then, like holds a bucket underneath it as she freezes time and then holds a bucket underneath it to catch the spill. It goes right in that bucket. Uh, Phoebe says something which is both kind of disturbing and something that Piper will actually do later in the show where she's like, quick, take advantage of him, which... While he's frozen. While he's frozen. Not okay. Not okay, Phoebe. Mm -mm. And then this is luckily interrupted by Prue bursting in and going... Guys, guys, we have a whole bunch of witch stuff to deal with. Oh, Leo. Hey, Leo, we're, we're going to go talk upstairs. Didn't say anything about witch stuff. Bye. And I, I, mean, like, I mean, yeah. sister stuff. They're so lucky that Leo's a white lighter. I know, right? And Leo must be like, these girls are so lucky that I already know. Uh, Meanwhile. Have you ever... Have you ever been in a situation like that where you know somebody's secret, but you, like, don't want to tell them you know their secret because you're respecting them? But then they keep saying things and you're like, oh my god, if I didn't know your secret, you would be telling me right now? And you, like, keep your face stony? Yeah, there's, I mean, it's mostly been, like, I've had friends who were closeted and, you know, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're like, I wish you felt comfortable enough to kind of talk about this, but I don't want to pressure you, so I'll just let you come to it in your own time, and I know you're just testing the waters now, so I'm being as open as possible to make this a welcoming environment. Although, I feel like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. So, back at Buckland's auction house... Andy is questioning Hannah and Rex. Who are like... Oh, we heard a scuffle, and then the window break, and then Prue ran out. And honestly, we're just so worried about Prue. She's our number one concern, which is actually true. Mm. Yeah. She is literally their number one concern. (laughs) 
So Daryl points out to Andy that maybe somebody else should deal with the case since Andy has a giant conflict of interest. Also because this shouldn't fall to them. They're homicide cops. Also, what's the crime here? CSI is checking out the window. What is the crime? This is a huge waste of... This is... Oh my God. You know what this is? What? This is the literally broken window policing. Oh my God. Yep. You're right. You're you're 100% right. But yeah, CSI is dusting for prints or whatever. And and Daryl's like, um, Andy, you shouldn't be following up on this since it deals with Prue. And Andy's like, oh, no, it's fine. Prue's not my girlfriend. She's my ex-girlfriend. So I definitely have no conflict of interest here. The hell, Andy. Come on. So Hannah's worried. Like Hannah and Rex go off to talk about how worried they are about the, you know, warlock from the pasty times who is like wandering around san francisco making a mess of things right now and rex is like oh hannah don't worry about that i'm going to be very angry at you for not worrying about that enough later this episode but as for right now don't worry about it hannah is that your rex voice i i can't do accents i very notably can't do accents all right back actually i am pretty bad at accents too Yes, I did watch that episode of Jay and Miles where you had to do Rogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back in back in the Hollowell's attic, Prue is filling the, her sisters in on what happened with Matthew Tate. And by the way, I, I know I mentioned their clothes once, but I just have to bring it up again because I'm so seldom going to say this on Charmed, so I, I have to say it now. Mm-hmm. Prue's outfit is so flattering, I almost can't look away. Wow. And it's just a sweater set. It's just a red sweater set, but it looks so great with her coloring, and the cut is so perfect for her. It's just a great outfit. So, uh, Prue hands Phoebe the locket, and Phoebe gets a past munition. Oh, yes. Instead of remembering the future, she remembers the past. Or what we call remembers. No, that's mean. Because she's seen Melinda Warren banish Matthew into the locket. And they're like... And Prue's like, oh, yeah, well, they said our powers would expand. And Phoebe's like, really? Really? This is my expanded power? She actually says, I thought I would get the ability to fly. Spoiler alert, Phoebe. Right? Which, I mean... I guess the other secondary powers aren't super related to the original power. I mean, Piper gets the explosion thing. Prue gets astral projection. I mean, I feel like those are sort of more connected than Phoebe's levitation. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like astral projection is really related to telekinesis. Honestly, astral projection would make more sense. For Phoebe? For Phoebe. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that when they get secondary powers. And honestly, the flight thing would make more sense for Prue. Yeah, it would. Hmm. No, instead we're going to get a scene where we see a lawyer and we see from his his door that his last name is Hallowell. And as a as a lawyer, this, this scene offends me so much. Well, he's establishing that he's a bad person, so we won't feel bad when Matthew kills him. He's like... He's talking about... First, he's talking about illegally double-billing clients. And then 
Matthew comes in and, like, throws him against the wall with telekinesis and force chokes him. And he's like, I'll sue you! Which, lawyers don't do that. Also, like, why why do you think he would care? This is a guy who walked into your office and magically slammed you up against a wall. Also, what, I mean, I guess you would assault, but... Well, that's... Okay, so, first of all, no, you wouldn't... It's not, I'll sue you, but also, lawyers don't just threaten to sue people immediately as their go-to. You know why? Because lawyers know what a pain in the ass it is. He gives me real Daria's mom's boss from Dario vibes. Oh, yeah, you're right. I am totally getting that. Sue UNICEF? Well, I I suppose it is a lot of pennies. (laughs) Anyway, Matthew asks him about his sisters. He says he doesn't have any. And then Matthew breaks his neck and is like, lawyers. They haven't changed. Shut up, Matthew. Also, I just have to point out, since we brought up the Terminator last episode, that this is essentially the Sarah Connor scene, right? What we have now is Matthew going from Hallowell to Hallowell looking for the sisters. So this is something we don't see very often in Charmed because we cut back to... The Charmed Ones doing non-Book of Shadows research. It's true. They have some book that is not the Book of Shadows, and Piper is telling them the legend of the locket. Yeah, she shows them a picture of Melinda Warren, who Phoebe says looks like their mom, which... The drawing of her looks more like the actress they will cast as their mother than the actress who is Melinda Warren. Yeah. She doesn't look anything like Alyssa Milano. Well, that yeah. whole episode is non-canon, basically. Eh. Dad, Dad has a different name. He's a different person. Mom's played by a different actor. It, it, the whole the shapeshifter thing never happened. Can you imagine what a nightmare it would have been when their mom becomes an actual character if they had tried to do it split screen with Alyssa Milano playing their mother? Oh God. Oof. So Leo's like, "Hey, Prue." Your, your work's on TV. So the girls all go downstairs and they see a news report reporting about the guy who jumped out the window and then walked away and was fine. And okay, so I'm assuming the actress who's playing the news reporter is like someone's friend or something because she is awful. I looked her up. I mean, she is an actress. She's done basically nothing. Like, she has, like, one line of dialogue which stood out to me because, like, in one line of dialogue, she sounds, I don't know, it, it's, it's like, do you remember the kid on Dick Van Dyke where it sounded like someone was mouthing the words to him off screen and he well, was Well, that's like, probably what was happening. Yeah, like, she, she sounds like a really bad child actor. I looked her up because it, she... I mean, she's only got, like, two lines, but they're so, like, jerky and halting that I looked her up to see if she was really a reporter. Oh, yeah. But no. No. I mean, she's only got two lines, and she's on a TV on the TV. We should cut her a break. Yeah. So, she's interviewing the guy who saw the warlock jump out the window, and he's like, yeah, it was real weird. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's Inspector Andy. Yeah, okay. He's here to arrest Prue for having a guy jump out her window. God, Andy. Let me tell you how much I love Phoebe. 
she goes outside to deal with Andy. And she's like, hey, Andy, are you here to court my sister? And he's like, no, I'm here to arrest her. And she's like, come back with a warrant. Slams the door in his face. Yeah, like, yeah. (laughs) This is a rare, this is a rare thing in television, so I have to note it. Usually in television, if somebody's like, come back with a warrant, or, you know, I want to talk to my lawyer, they're the bad guys. And I hate that trope because, yeah, come back with a warrant, Andy. Okay, so there's this comic I like called Dynamo 5. I like the first few trades I got kind of eh, later. But there, there's a great bit. It's about this, like, Superman-esque figure who, it turns out, had a bunch of kids and each one of them has one of his superpowers. Mm-hmm. And... There's a bit where uh, this secret organization that used to work with him has collected all of the kids, and they're interviewing them, and one of them just keeps on saying, lawyer, 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 and the guy he's talking to is like, you know, we're not the cops, we're a secret paramilitary organization, no lawyer, and he's like, yep, but yeah, so Prue's having angst because... A warlock has her powers, and also her ex-boyfriend is trying to arrest her. And uh, Phoebe's like, wow, sucks to be you, Prue. <laughs> Prue also points out that she can't even call Andy for help because it would involve explaining a lot of things to him. And also, he's not equipped to deal with a 17th century warlock. And then Phoebe has an idea. The idea isn't just look up how the locket works in the Book of Shadows and then use it on the warlock. I mean, you're right. They legit could have done that, but I like what they do better anyway. Yes, they're going to raise the dead. They're going to pull Melinda Warren forward in time and then have her kick this guy's ass for them. She's already fought him. She's already fought him once before. I like that Phoebe, because Phoebe is... Already, we know, the one who's most excited about being a witch. She's the one who does the most research and reads the Book of Shadows the most. She knows that there's a spell in the book to raise the dead. Hmm. This spell does not get a ton of play later. There is a ghost summoning spell that gets a lot of play later. Not so much this spell. Right, because this doesn't bring her back as a ghost. This brings her back as a flesh and blood human. And you can only call your ancestors your blood. Mm -hmm. So... You have to spill your own blood. This is this is also ceremonial magic, which I like. They've got the pewter cauldron. They've got the circle of candles. They need to spill blood into the cauldron. Like, I, I like it when the show's like, look, magic involves more than just saying rhyming stuff. Yes. Okay. I do love this scene. So this is going to sound so nitpicky. Mm-hmm. But none of the girls want to pierce their fingers. And Phoebe reminds them about when they were little And they made a blood pact where they all pierced their fingers and swore to be friends as well as sisters. Is your thing about how that's about being blood brothers, so... Yeah, the thing that she's referring to is like the childhood thing where you become blood brothers or blood sisters or blood siblings by piercing your fingers and like putting them together. And that's because you're friends who are combining your blood because you're not blood related yeah whereas these three are already blood related they don't need to pierce their fingers and combine their blood to be friends if anything their pack should have involved not sharing blood Mm. which piper points out she's like i remember that when we did that my finger got infected and i couldn't swim for the rest of the summer 
Yeah. They eventually all do it, although Piper won't pierce her own finger, so Phoebe has to do it for her. Prue says the oath worked, which do you not remember the fact that you didn't talk to Phoebe for like three years before the start of the show, but... They're all friends now. It eventually worked. So all of them spill their blood they uh, into the locket. They sort of, they, they finish the spell and call forth Melinda Warren. And, oh God, I love a good bubbling cauldron. Yeah. And... There's like a there's a little light show where all the fireflies like fly up and coalesce into Melinda Warren, who's wearing the clothes she died in. Mm. You talked about how she wasn't watching them from heaven. I think she probably and and I'm really kind of creating stuff that's not in the show, but based on everything she says, I think she doesn't have any of her memories after her death. Actually, the impression I got from this, which is not what they said the spell did, but I, th- I feel like the spell pulled her forward before she died. Yeah, I mean, she remembers how she died, but they could have been pulling her from, like, right before she was burned. Yeah, I mean, she already knew that she was going to be burned at the stake, so. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's that she wasn't watching them from heaven. I think she- this this iteration of her has no heaven memories. Yes. So... God, I wish they hadn't got a blonde actress for this. I mean, she does a fine enough job, but just, this is uh, such an iconically brunette show. Yeah, it's true, but I'm okay with it. Uh, I guess it's fine. So It's it's almost like in Parks and Rec uh, with Ron Swanson, where his whole deal is that he really is into brunettes mm-hmm. and brunette women. And then when we meet his first wife, Tammy... She is a blonde, and she's, in fact, the blonde that forever turned him off blondes, right? Like, Melinda Warren is the blonde that birthed all of the brunettes who have to deal with all of these evil and dead blondes. (laughs) So, she's doing the whole, oh, I'm a time traveler, and I don't understand zippers, or deodorant, or toothpaste. She's like, oh my gosh, you bought this dress instead of making it yourself? You must be super wealthy. And Prue's like, actually, she just has credit cards, which so- solid, solid, uh, solid hit, Prue. So they're all complimenting Melinda and, you know, tell- making like, oh, we're in the present and you're from the past jokes. And then in comes Leo. Yep. Leo comes in and they tell him that she's their cousin, Melinda. Mm-hmm. Fine. Good cover. And they tell Melinda that Leo is the handyman who's fixing their plumbing. And she's like, what's plumbing? Okay, Melinda, did they not have shutting up in the 1700s? I mean, like, it's so easy to not let people know you're from the past. You hear a word you don't recognize and you just let it go without comment. Well, instead of doing that, she tells Leo that he's a great man because he works with his hands and then extensively quotes Shakespeare, which Leo picks up on and finishes because he's sexy like that. Dear Lord. Oh, God. Who wants to listen to two jackasses quoting things at each other he said on a podcast? Yeah, I mean, come on. Don't pull on that thread. Yeah, right. So... Leo goes about his business and the girls all leave and as they leave Melinda tells Piper what a dreamboat Leo is because 
her, like, ancestor Dar picks up on the fact that Leo and Piper are endgame, I guess? I guess. I mean, gosh. I was gonna say, did Leo doink her too, but we know that he died during World War II, so. No, no. But he did have sex with their grandmother. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to that. So we cut from that to a shot of dead Al Borland. (laughs) Yes. Uh, there... Matthew has found another Hallowell to murder instead of, you know... I want to point out, he didn't murder Prue. He just left after he got what he wanted. Yeah, he stole her power and he left. Then he went and killed an attorney named Hallowell. And then he went to a hardware store called Hallowell's Hardware and killed what looks like Al Borland from Home Improvement by pinning him to the wall with farming equipment. It's pretty messed up. Yep, yep. And Rex is like, hey, are you an idiot? Because you're acting like an idiot. Yeah, Rex and Hannah show up and they're like, hey, dude, we engineered you coming back from the past and we want to help you not get caught. So what you're doing here, you need to stop. We're going to help you find the other two sisters and get their powers since you have a weird boner for that. But like... You need to just come with us and do what we say. And he's like, I work alone. And Rex is like, oh my god. Yeah, and then you were stuck in a locket for hundreds of years. <laughs> I do like that Matthew is asked them, how did you find me? And Rex is like, we followed the trail of dead Hallowells. How do you think? So back at the manor, the sisters are like, hey, Melinda, why didn't you use your powers to like escape being burned at the stake? And she's like, well, I had a daughter and I didn't want her to be burned at the stake. And they're like, couldn't you have used your powers to escape with your daughter? Weren't you worried about, like, why wouldn't they just burn your daughter after they burned you? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. But you know what? It worked. So I feel like we shouldn't criticize her too much. Yeah. But Phoebe gets the sads about how Warren and Hallowell women all lose their mothers early. And Hey, Patty didn't lose her mother early. That's true. That's true. Okay, I just need to bring up how Prue is shot in this scene. You mean very angelically? Yeah. Okay, so I already said her outfit is great. The outfit she was wearing before. Now she's switched because it's, you know, later. So now she's wearing more of like a white fuzzy sweater And the lighting in this scene when she's talking to Melinda is, like, super angelic. She has a glow about her. And is Richard Denault in love with Shannon Doherty? She's being very well shot this episode. I just, it just now occurred to me, he might be in love with her. Because she looks great. Yes. But, yeah, so the point of this scene is that the women in this family will sacrifice anything for family because family, 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 family. Specifically, also daughters, which will not come back for these girls. Yeah, wow, yeah. Like, we know Phoebe is a daughter, but we only see her in, like, future stuff. Yeah, we get to see a second of her in reality in the finale, I think, and that's it. So... Prue just, Prue's like, okay, yeah, that's great, but 
we brought you here to fight Matthew. How are you supposed to fight Matthew? He he has this power where he can be in one place and then be in another place. And Melinda's like, oh, that's a mighty power called blinking. He must have stolen that from another witch. Although later in the show it is exclusively a demonic power, but eh, it's early. And the point of this is to establish that what Matthew does is he steals other witches' powers. And that when he steals another witch's power, they can no longer use it against him. Yes, they don't lose the power. Right. Prue still has her telekinesis. Right, he just becomes immune to it. Yeah, if and only if they use it directly against him. So shouldn't he already have Phoebe's... Uh... Prophecy? Yeah. No, she saw melinda casting the spell in the locket but i don't think that was using it against him per se Mm. meanwhile hannah is having sexy times with matthew where she's dressing him up in modern clothes and he's just hanging out in her office with no shirt she's playing with him like he's a ken doll she gets him these like super tight skinny jeans and he's like are all pants this tight in the future and she's like "Uh uh-huh this is normal don't put a shirt on yeah, he's kind of, like, seducing-ish. I mean, he's, like, into it. He's like, you want to look at my chest? Look at my chest. And she's like, okay, I will look at your chest. And then Rex comes in and is like, oh, my God. We were supposed to leave 30 minutes ago, and you're just sitting here being horny at each other. He's not as stacked as Ken Marino, though. He's more... Okay, Ken Marino has better pecs, but he has better abs. Well, he's more defined than Ken Marino. Ken Marino has more mass than him. That's accurate. Because I'd say Ken Marino's abs are just as good. They're just spread out wider because he's thicker set. Yes. Irrelevant. But no, I mean, it's important that we compare shirtless pictures of men to determine (laughs) the relative cutness of said men. So Rex comes in, he's like, for a demon, I'm surprisingly puritanical. Like, Hannah, stop sexually objectifying that warlock. And, you know, warlock, stop flirting with my assistant who I may or may not be having sex with. Um, well, if you asked me if I thought there was monogamy in hell, I would tell you yes. So it tracks for me. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, Rex, you are a literal demon from hell. You shouldn't be poo-pooing people, like, flirting with each other. I mean, it's a good point that what's the point of being a demon if you're not having fun with it? Like, have some hedonism. But I guess he's Hannah's boss, so torturing her is more important to him than... He's also her boyfriend, and see, this is the problem. This is why you shouldn't date your boss. We're going right back to Reddit relationships. Exactly. Exactly. I, 4,000-year-old female, am dating my boss, 9,000-year-old male. Is this a terrible idea, Reddit? So. I know from the headline this sounds bad, but let me explain why it's worse. <laughs> so, back at the manor, uh, Melinda's like, I, I, I know the spell of which you speak, but I don't remember exactly how it's cast in Piper. Like, didn't you, like, literally just cast yeah, it? Yeah, from we- your point of view, isn't it, like, the next day? And Phoebe's like, don't worry, we can just look it up in the Book of Shadows, which you could have just looked it up yourself then. 
but fine. I'm not going to complain about that, even though it's true, because I like having Melinda in this episode. I like how she talks about how much bigger the book is, and they're like, what? She's like, I didn't write the whole thing. Every every generation adds spells. They come up with their own spells, and Phoebe's like, we can write our own spells. And Melinda's like, other generations could. Oh, mean. I think it's interesting that Phoebe is the most interested in writing her own spells, and I'm pretty sure, let's keep an eye on it, that Phoebe does write more spells than anyone else. Mm. I think she becomes the go-to person to write vanquishments for demons. Yeah, Piper becomes the potion lady, Phoebe writes the vanquishing spells, and the third sister is also there. And Peggy. So... I do really like this. She talks about how the book is like a representation of their family and how everyone adds to it to create a richer tapestry. And, you know, it's sort of a literal version of the whole family Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's a literal version of like your family making you stronger. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's family literally giving you strength. So... Rex and Hannah are showing Matthew pictures of the Hallwell sisters, and this is the one part in the episode where he's like, oh, what a fine painter must have painted these little paintings. And Hannah's like, okay, I'm going to take you to a movie when this is all over. And Rex is like, he's going to be dead when this is all over, Hannah. Right? And Matthew's like, what? And Rex is like, "Mm, don't don't worry worry about about it. it. So he shows... So Rex shows Matthew a picture of all of the sisters so he knows who to go attack and gives him the address of Quake so that he can go attack Piper. But then he tells Hannah to drive him to Quake. So he didn't need to give him the address at all. I guess... Which is good because there's no way he would be able to find a place in San Francisco by following an address. Yeah, like last time I was in San Francisco, I had a GPS and I was lost all the time. It's not a, f- it's not a friendly city to drivers. I have never been to San Francisco, so I will take your word for that. So, Melinda is teaching them how to cast the spell, and Phoebe's excited because it's the first time they've cast a curse, which I don't think is true. I think they did it in the first episode to Jeremy, but no. I am almost certain you are correct. But Melinda says it's good that they haven't cast a curse because it's powerful, and it's good that they haven't been in a situation where they've had to, and it's dark, and all that stuff. They're gathering up all of the herbs and spices that they need to cast this particular curse. And Piper lets them know that there's some herbs they don't have that she'll have to go to Quake to get. Mm. Oh no, because Matthew's on his way to Quake. And also they need a feather from a spotted owl. Mm. And Melinda's like, is that going to be an issue? And they're like, yeah, they're not so common anymore. And she's like, but... How could a beast possibly disappear from the face of the earth? I think people have been driving animals to extinction for as long as people have been around. They absolutely have. So, yeah, Melinda shouldn't be surprised by this, but Prue suggests that maybe she can go to the zoo and get a feather there. And then they have to explain what a zoo is to Melinda, because this is the one joke you get when you have people from the past. But, as I said before, I looked it up. It's accurate. Melinda Warren would not have known what a zoo was, so good job, Charmed. So we go from that to Quake, where uh, Matthew is sitting in the car with Hannah, and he's like, oh, I've been waiting over 300 years for my revenge. And Hannah's like, you know, that's great. Okay, so was he aware while he was in the locket? 
I guess. I mean, she said that he would be in pain and such while he was in there. So. Oof, that's horrible. I mean, I know he's an evil warlock who betrayed his girlfriend. So yeah, into the locket with him. But still, oof, horrible. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah. So... <sighs> so Piper and Phoebe go into Quake and await... And- Phoebe goes to the back to get the spices, and Piper is immediately stopped by a waitress who lets her know that some British guy called looking for her. <gasps> yeah, Matthew's onto them. In fact, Matthew's already in the kitchen attacking Phoebe. Okay, I feel like a lot of Matthew's problems would be solved if he didn't immediately leave once he gets what he wants. Right? Okay, so he grabs Phoebe. She has a premonition where she sees Matthew killing Melinda. And he's like, thank you for using your power against me. Also, okay, just just a side note. He was dating Melinda to get her powers. Did he ask her to use his pa- her powers against him while they were dating? I assume yes. I assume that they were dating. I assume that he dated her until she felt comfortable revealing to him that she was a witch. And that once she revealed that, he was like... Let me see. Like, show me what it feels like to be thrown or have time frozen. Or premonition at me. Well, you you can't control premonitions. This is also another case of Phoebe's powers activating only to be a dick. Right? Because, like, if she didn't have a premonition, he'd be screwed. (laughs) But, like, he's like, hey, have a premonition. Have one right now. And she's like, oh, I see you attacking uh, Melinda. Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, well, I know Piper's in this building, so I could grab her power right now, too. But instead, I'm just going to leave now because I have one power. I'm going to leave this planet for no reason. <laughs> yeah, essentially. That's a Futurama joke. Also, then Phoebe's like, oh, no, now he has my power. Don't worry, Phoebe. It's totally useless. Well, judging from the way it's been working for Phoebe... It's the only thing it's going to do is show him that he's about to be vanquished right before it happens to him. Yeah. Yeah. So Prue decides that instead of going to the zoo to get the spotted owl feather, she'll go to the museum because that's easier, I guess. Yeah, I guess they've got a stuffed owl there. I guess it's like a natural history museum. I don't know. Is there a natural history museum in San Francisco? Sure. Let's say yes. So now the sisters have left Melinda alone in the house to be confused by food processors. Yeah. Yeah. And to get attacked by Matthew. Which... Phoebe calls, and by the way, there's a much better version of this scene in the comic book Thor the Mighty Avenger, which if you are looking to get into comics and are interested in Thor from the Marvel movies... Thor the Mighty Avenger is a really good place to step in. Oh, okay. It's a sort of all-ages take on Thor's first coming to Earth. And Mm -hmm. the art's by Chris Samney, and it's so beautiful. But a better version of this scene where Phoebe calls the answering machine, and Melinda doesn't know how to work the answering machine, but she hears it, so she hears Phoebe saying, Hey, Prue, Melinda, Matthew is on his way? Yes. Because Thor is from another planet, so he doesn't know how answering machines work? Yes, exactly that. Awesome. 
So Melinda doesn't know how to work the answering machine, but she does manage to turn it off, which means that back at Quake, Phoebe has the line go dead on her, and she and Piper decide maybe instead of calling, they should hightail it back to the manor. Yes, as one does. But Matthew is already there, and he's going to do, like, weird, sexy, confronting Melinda. Why doesn't Matthew ever kill any of the people he's actually after? I don't know. Maybe it's part of his, like, code? I guess. Maybe he has, like, some weird thing where he doesn't kill witches. He only takes their powers, but he, like, refuses to kill them himself. Yeah, he seems like he has some sort of weird power play thing going on. Honestly, the scene with him and Melinda reminded me of all of the scenes with Jack Donaghy and Devin Banks in 30 Rock. You can settle it with a talking like this contest. Yeah, where they're, like, getting all, like, gravelly and close in each other's faces, and he's all like, I will kill you, Melinda, and she's like, you already have failed. And then when he grabs her, he has a premonition of him failing, and she's like, ha, I told you. And he's all like, use your power. And she's like, no, we've done that. And no. Yeah, like, I can just not use my powers against you. And uh, and he's like, okay, fine. Then I guess I'll just go kill Prue. And she's like, fine. She's at the zoo. Yep. Yep. And by the way, notice that he doesn't say what's a zoo. He just says, okay, I'll go to the zoo and kill her. You know, you could have killed her before. I don't... Oh, I mean, I... I, Whatever. (laughs) Why didn't you kill Phoebe? Why didn't you wait ten goddamn seconds? Piper came into the room right after you left. I... I I mean... Literally... Look, he... You know what? He enjoys his job. He doesn't do it as efficiently as possible because he takes joy in it. Well... Literally, it's been part of this episode, like part of, we, we've been kind of skipping over it, but his motivation is literally to wipe out the war in line. And he's like, as soon as I have all of the powers, I'll kill them. Yet he's not killing the girls after he takes their powers. Oh yeah, I was just trying to hand wave that away by saying maybe he has a thing about not killing witches, but you're right, yeah. His whole raison d'etre is to extinguish the war in line. What is, what is he doing? So... Back at Buckland's, Rex and Hannah are having a discussion where Rex is reading her mind, which is weird. I I, he's... I I feel like they just threw that in to establish that Rex can read her mind. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you lost Matthew. And she's like, get out of my mind, Rex. And he's like, look. Well, she asked why he can't scry and find out where Matthew is. And he says he doesn't know how to do that yet. This is this whole scene is just like to establish for later what Rex and Hannah can do. Yeah, and also that they have someone they're working for. Yes, they talk about how angry this person will be that they have lost Matthew in the city of San Francisco. So Piper and Phoebe come home to see if Melinda's okay, and Melinda's like, "Yes, I sent Rex to the zoo. It'll be fine." But look, we have to finish the vanquish before my uh, before Matthew gets back. So the three of them go to get the vanquish as far along as they can while Prue gets the feather. By the way, Prue left when it was daytime, and now she's robbing the museum at nighttime. Eh, 
it's one of those cheats where it cuts from day to night in a cut, so you're not supposed to think about how much time has passed. But yeah, she comes out of the museum, presumably with a feather, and Andy is there to arrest her for stealing a feather and being there when a guy jumped out a window. What are you doing, Andy? Because he's like, you're under arrest, proof for having a feather outside of a museum. And she's like, it's my personal feather. I brought it from home. (laughs) I mean, what? Anyway, back at Buckland's, Matthew's come back and fills them in on the fact that he stole Phoebe's power, has killed no one, and (laughs) saw them finishing the curse. And they're like, oh, well, then they must be at the manor finishing the curse. Maybe we should have sent you to the manor in the first place. Yeah, weird that we didn't. Also, he's already been to the manor. How did he get that address? Huh. I mean, was it in Phoebe's mind when he had the premonition of them vanquishing him? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, he says that he can't get Piper's power because she'll die before she uses her power on him now that she knows what the deal is. And Rex gives him a gun and is like, here. Maybe this will help. And then they all leave without following up on the fact that there is no way Matthew knows how to work this pistol. Yeah, he has no follow-up questions. He knows what zoos are and he knows what guns are. I mean, he would know what a gun is, but not this modern pistol. But whatever. Whatever. So, Prue, meanwhile, Prue's like, Andy... Why am I under arrest? He's like, because you stole from a museum and you obstructed justice by not answering my questions. And she's like, oh my god, seriously, Andy? She's like, come back with a warrant. And he's like, this is very serious because a window got broken and you stole a... Like, I'm sorry, I know Andy's right that she's up to something, but he comes off like... He has, he has no grounds to hold her. Anyway, she uses her power to make his airbag go off, which is way more dangerous than it's ever shown in television, but whatever. Yeah, you, you can break your neck with that. Anyway, she makes his airbag go off, and then she hightails it out of there. And how does he not know she's a witch? <laughs> it's so obvious, dude. So, back at the Hollowell Manor, they've basically finished the potion... And all they need is the feather. And, you know, they have a little conversation about, you know, oh, where's Prue? She's probably stuck in traffic, which, fair, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Again, I will take your word for it. It's very hilly, and there's a lot of one-way streets. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. So, Matthew bursts in, and he telekinetically pulls Piper to him, and he's like, hey, freeze me. Or, you know, I'll kill you. And with she's, this gun. With this gun. And she's like, yeah, no. And he's like, oh, but what if I kill your sister? And Prue's like, oh, not on my watch, biatch. Oh, and then Prue shows up. And, okay, she can't use her power against Matthew, which I guess means she can't telekinetically shove Matthew. But she can telekinetically pull the gun out of his hand and throw a chair at him. So... Mm. great then it doesn't really matter that she can't throw him right yeah seriously so she does those two things she pulls the gun out of his hand and she throws a chair at him then piper now feels free to freeze him 
uh, as Melinda throws the feather into the pot and then sucks Matthew into the uh, locket. And the last shot we see of the locket as it closes is him kind of struggling inside the stone that's on the front of the locket. So, uh, yeah, I guess he is aware while he's in there. Messed up. It kind of reminds me of the last shot of the trophy in the Buffy episode, The Witch, where we see that her eyes are moving and that she's aware of what's happening. Yeah, which in a season, like, what, two, three episode, Oz points out, hey, look, it looks like the eyes on that statue are moving. Oz points that out in season two, and then in season three, after the school blows up, we see the trophy again. Wow. Yeah, they they had followed through on that trophy. Mm. So Rex and Hannah are debriefing. And Hannah's like, okay, look, so we didn't get rid of the Charmed Ones, but we are we know that they're the Charmed Ones now, and that has to be worth something to the man downstairs. And Rex is like, you better pray it's enough. And I'm like... Or we better pray it's enough. And I'm like, it's been three months. This is... You, you're just figuring out they're the Charmed Ones. Okay, whatever. So bad at your job. Hell works on a different timetable, I guess. So... At the police station, Daryl is pointing out to Andy what a huge idiot he is. Andy's like, I'm going to get a judge out of bed and have him issue me an arrest warrant for Prue for being there when a guy jumped out a window. And Daryl's like, that is a terrible idea. Listen, I'm glad that we're not alone here. I'm glad that at least the show is like, listen to yourself, man. Yeah, Andy's like, I, I, I'm i going to get a warrant uh, to arrest her for evading arrest. And Daryl's like, dude. Let it go. <laughs> Seriously. Well, he tells him, like, don't embarrass yourself. This is this is something that will kill your career. You need to let it go. Andy does not come off well in this episode. No, not at all. So then we go back to the manor so we can wrap up Piper's quasi subplot with leo where she's like oh leo what are you doing here and he's like i'm here to play with your pipes and she's like "Eh." and she says hey do you want to go out on a date and he's like yeah remember last episode when you wanted to see how this would go and i said yeah yeah so he's like yeah just give me a call and we'll go out sometime and i won't get fired or anything because that should really be against my you know no, I assume he's an independent, I assume he's an independent handyman. The white lighter job. Oh, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so upstairs in the attic, they're doing the spell to send Melinda home, and there's a sad scene where none of the girls want her to go because it's not fair. It's not fair that she died at, like, 25. It is pretty messed up. And that now she has to just accept going back and being dead when she's here in a body, and she should just be allowed to live her life, but... I mean, would it really be that different? I mean, if she just disappeared instead of burned at the stake? Except, yes, it would be. And you don't want to mess with time travel too much. Yeah. So she tells them that it's not her time anymore, so she needs to go back to the past and die, and it's really sad. And Phoebe takes her hand, and Phoebe's like, use your power. Tell me what you see. And she's like, I see my children and my children's children and their children and they're happy and they're strong and i can go back now because i know that everything's going to be okay and she knows that the thing that she was trying to do which was to save her daughter was so successful her daughter lived and there's an infinite line of worn women coming after her yeah 
So it's a nice ending for... It's as nice an ending as it can be for a person who's about to be burned for being a witch. A person who looks a lot like Linda from Better Off Ted, which I didn't think about until the last scene, but it's... I think it's definitely true. I can kind of see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So she uh, she tells them that she loves them, and she tells them blessed be, and she goes back to the past. Yeah. And then that's that's it. That's where we leave off, which is good. I, I feel like Charmed knew exactly where to end it this episode and not put some weird little tag on it. Honestly, I still think the fourth Hallwell might be my favorite episode of Charmed possibly altogether, but this is a really strong one. I mean, as far as what we've covered so far, the fourth Hallowell is like a close second behind this, but I think this is my favorite one that we've done so far. All right, so now that the episode is over, it is time for us to access our power of three. Ooh. So uh, for our first power, Premonition, uh, we will look into the past and future... To see who, if any, actors from this episode became famous later. And I don't think any of them did, although the guy who played Matthew looked a lot like Ken Marino. No, none of them went on to great fame. But I just have to say that um, Tyler Layton, who Mm -hmm. plays Melinda Warren. No, Tyler could be a woman's name. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, she, she is a, she's a graduate of my alma mater, the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Uh Uh-huh, Roll Tide indeed. Apparently, she was the homecoming queen of the University of Alabama for 1989. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, not very many premonitions in our power pack this uh, episode, so let's move on to Time Freeze. What specifically dated this episode? Okay, you go first because I have three. Okay, so mine was obviously answering machines. That was one of mine, yeah. An answering machine that isn't voicemail, right? Yeah, that is its own separate thing. That you can hear from the house when it's being answered. Yes. And that can be cut off in the middle. Mm. Okay, so my other two are... I feel like the thing where you like do the blood sister thing... That's a very 90s thing. I feel like that's an 80s, 90s thing that I read about in kids' books, but didn't know anyone ever actually did. Yes. And then the other thing is, which we haven't brought up, despite all of our other talk about time travel shenanigans, which is the fact that Melinda Warren has the Rachel haircut. She does. Which, she was, she could see the future. Oh my god, you're right! That totally make that totally tracks. Okay, it's fine. All right, so that'll bring us to our last segment, telekinesis. What genuinely moved you this episode? Okay, so for me, it was the final scene where they were, you know, talking about how unfair it was that she had to go back and die. That that really hit me. You know, what got me in this? It's the same scene, but later the bit where Phoebe has her use her power. Like, she, she takes Melinda's hand and she tells her to, you know, look into the future. And she talks about how she sees her daughter and her daughter's daughters. And she sees the whole line of Warren women stand, uh, standing proud and tall. And I'm like, that got me. Yeah, no, that was good, too. This episode really went out on a strong note. Yeah. So I think that'll about do it. Yeah, I think that's it for this week. Next time, our episode is Wicca Envy. 
And the Netflix description is, Rex and Hannah set out to destroy the sisters Hallowell and frame Prue for murder. <gasps> yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's it for us this week. It's been so long. Yeah. This show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Mm-hmm.